0: I am not. Always the crowd. Always the front row. That's why we put you on the front row. Since we don't have choir. You know, like a lot of churches, they have choirs. You know why they put choirs in robes, right? Because those are the people we're most worried about, and we can identify them faster in the robe. <laughs> Since we don't have robes, we have the front row. And so we want to make sure. But, hey, I'm, I'm really glad you're here this morning. Um, I'm very excited about um, this whole um, series that we're going through and and everything don't Don't even worry about it um it's technology we love technology so um but we're asking that question who's your one who's the one person the one the one person that maybe god has put in your life in your job in the next door in the cubicle that you're working but there's there's one that i believe god has placed us in the path of that we can invest in that we can share in and 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 so we're, we're kind of getting past the idea as we're talking about this area of where we live and 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 everything that we're doing um of the thousands and thousands that are moving in and those are huge numbers um i've told you this before within five miles of this church there are thirty thousand people within ten miles there are a hundred thousand people of this church we don't have enough churches, and that's an awful lot of people, and that seems so overwhelming. And sometimes when we think of something so big and so great and so overwhelming, we're just like, well, there's no chance, there's no hope. But what if we start thinking about the one? Just the one, one at a time, one at a time. And so this morning, we're going to continue on this line of thought with you, and so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5. There we go. Now things are working. All right. Hmm. Yeah. Probably you have to go to Facebook. Don't even worry about. it. We won't stream today. It's all right. Um, but we are going to talk about this idea now. As I said at the beginning, of church. These are the only words that matter. Um, this is the only authority I have to get up and preach every day. It's the only reason that we can be a church is because of these words. Um, it doesn't matter what all the theologians it doesn't matter how witty the stories are it matters about these words and I hope if you hear nothing else you hear these words and so out of respect uh, for that and out of acknowledgement and authority I'm just gonna ask if you'll stand with me as we open God's word and we start in Luke chapter 5 starting verse 17 <clears throat> probably a story many of us have heard in the past if we've been in church at all but Luke writes this he says on one of those days while he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem and the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk, but so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe, and said, we have seen incredible things today. It's my prayer for us today, that we would see incredible things today. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for another Sunday. God, one more Sunday, Father, just to come together to gather in your name as your people. God, to hear from your word to be challenged, to be encouraged, God, to be changed. And so, Father, we give you this time. We give you this service. Father, I pray these words are yours, not mine. God, that whatever needs to be dealt with today will be dealt with. God, if there are things in the back of our minds, distraction, things going on in our life, Father, may just for the next few moments, Father, would you just quiet all those other voices and may we just hear from you today. God, I pray for hearts, God, for eyes to see, for ears to hear, and for hearts to respond. God, that you would move, that we would be different because we were in your presence today. And that we would have the courage to live that out these walls, wherever we go. So, Father, have your way. Move me out of the way, hide me. And may you get all the glory and all the praise. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as I said, I, I don't want us to get so caught up in, in the millions and the thousands and the tens of thousands, all the people. I just want to start asking that question every week over the next few weeks, like, who's your one? See, I, I believe with all my heart that we are in the neighborhood we're at, we're in the job that we're at, we're in the Circle of relationships that we're at because we're there to further God's kingdom and bring him glory I think that's what Jesus was talking about in the Beatitudes when he was saying, you know, seek first his kingdom Then all these things will be added and so that's what we want to do We want to seek first and we want to do that. And so the question comes in is like, so what do we do? See, I believe most people are caught up in the idea of missions we love the idea of missions. We love the idea of going out, of, of, of seeing the world change. We're caught up in, in movements. Um, this new generation, this millennial generation, is, kinda, is the most movement-driven generation we have probably seen in our entire history. I mean, we've seen amazing things happen. people, Kids with no shoes, they got shoes. People being fed. And we get caught up in these movements, and we get excited about it. But the truth is, is we are a fan-based culture. We realize we love to cheer. I mean think about it. If you're into sports at all, you've got the jerseys, you've got you watch the game, you're looking on ESPN, if you have the app it goes off in the middle of church, which mine I muted this week. Um, with that doo 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 doo. Oh, who'd Florida State get this year? Are we gonna have a good season, please Lord? You know? We love to cheer. We love to be involved, but the truth is most of most of us never step foot on that field at all. It's easy to cheer for people. We, we love to give to missions. I mean, we're giving right now. We, we love to give to Annie Armstrong or some mission organization. We, lo- we love to pray for them. But the problem is, is we never make missions personal. And we are called to make being on mission, the spreading of the gospel, the furthering God's kingdom. We are called and commanded to make it personal to us. That there is something that each of us do. And so this morning, that's really what I want to talk about. It's like, how do we make it personal? And I think looking at this passage, we're going to see some of that. The very first thing I want you to know is about these gentlemen. And we've heard this story. Can you imagine that's your house, you know? There's a big crowd, you got like Billy Graham shows up in town and everything, and he's in your house, and it's all packed, and, and, and people are coming, and it's great. And all of a sudden, someone's, you hear like hammers and stuff, and your roof caves in, and so we're like, we couldn't get in, you know? I mean, this, this is an amazing picture, but the first thing we see about these people is they had a mission. They had a mission they had they had a goal, they had a vision for their friend they had a, a vision for do it and so the truth is mission drives us doesn 't it yeah. that 's what we we have mission in our state whatever it, it what gets us up in the morning it, it keeps us going when things are hard it, it keeps us moving and, and the truth is we live as a culture on mission, all the major companies they have mission statements. Some of you have family mission statements, and they're really pretty in calligraphy, and they're, they're like in nice frames, and they're hanging on a wall. My family would probably be on like the side of a cardboard box and like marker with bad handwriting because I'd write it. But we have these mission drivers. I mean, the companies do it. And, and think about this. Here's Instagram. This, oops, this is Instagram. Instagram's mission statement, to capture and share the world's moments. Isn't that beautiful? That's so lovely. By the way, your dinner is not a moment that I care to see. (laughs) If anybody has Instagram, I'm telling you right now, stop taking pictures of what you're eating. I don't care. (laughs) But that's Instagram. And there's millions of people. I mean, they have caught into it. I mean, before we had Facebook 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 's mission statement has changed a little bit over time. In the beginning is like connect and everything facebook 's now is a media platform for grandma to keep up with her grandchildren <laughs> strangest thing in the world was being on Facebook and having my mom and my mother in law ask me to be friends. How do you answer that <laughs> <laughs> you know you can 't like dislike anymore. They took that button away you're like oh, I'm just ignore no. I mean, but these are their mission statements. This it it drives them. You know, Jesus had a mission statement. His was found. His was found in Luke 19 10. He says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. From the moment he was born, that was his mission statement to come to seek and save the lost. The loss. These guys had a mission. Look back at verse 17. So you have this picture. Jesus, by this time, it's still early in his ministry, but people are starting to like, who is this guy? This guy's pretty amazing. He's doing amazing things. There's something special about it. And it says in 17, on one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. This is a big deal because this is actually the first time in Jesus' ministry where they're interacting. If you don't know what's going on, they're feeling Jesus out. They had already done John the Baptist, they'd done the same thing. They came out, listened to what he's teaching, kind of questioned. And the Pharisees, and we, we always give them a hard time, like, oh my gosh, they're the bad guys. They meant well. They had just taken so much of the law and all of that together and added to it that they made just their the faith impossible. I mean, you think about it. They were so worried about it, just kind of an idea of this. They were so worried about taking God's name in vain is they wouldn't even speak it. They had taken the relationship there. And so they're here checking out Jesus, this this teacher. And we, and we talked about this last week about him being a rabbi, a very powerful rabbi, one that is. Something with authority that they hadn't heard before or seen before. And so they're there. And so it goes on. It says, and just then some men came carrying on a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. But since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up the roof, loaded him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. And seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. It's this beautiful picture. But these guys, these friends, man, they had a mission. They wanted to get their friend in front of Jesus. They had heard about this. They believed that something amazing could happen. And so they had this mission. And so whatever it takes They were gonna do it, even if it meant climbing on some stranger's roof and pulling back the tiles and making a hole to get their friends. And Jesus, that's a mission. It drove them. And so my question for you this morning is what drives you? What gets you up in the morning? Is it is it, man, I gotta make some more money, I gotta pay some more bills, I gotta spend another day at Disney. And another day coffee. Is it coffee? <laughs> right listen. All that stuff is good. Listen, I Listen, I used to tell my students in all my years of student ministry. I said, "Listen, you should be the best student. Don't tell me you're a follower of Jesus and be that kid that's screws around in class and talks back to the teacher. Be the very best student. And I'm not saying you have to get A's all the time because not everybody can get A's. I had one of those daughters. Sometimes her best day was a C and we were like, praise God she passed. <laughs> but you just do your best and those are good things. It's, it's good to, to build up savings in retirement and to think, have a little nest egg. It's all those good. But the truth is, is all that stuff is gonna go away. My, my question is what drives you? Do you have any kingdom dreams? Do you have any dreams about what will it look like if God really moved in my community? What would happen if God just grabbed a hold of hearts and changed lives? What would happen to those families, those people that are wandering around? What would happen? See, I, I love it. So one, one pastor once said, he said, "If the size of your vision doesn't intimidate you, it's probably insulting to God." the size of your vision doesn't intimidate you, it is probably insulting to God. We put it this way. We like to dream a dream so big that if God's not in it, we're going to fail. See, I believe that everybody, those 30,000 people that live within five miles, can hear the gospel, should get a chance to hear the gospel and make the decision for themselves. I believe every one of them can hear the gospel. I believe this church of 20, 30 people can change the world it doesn't need to be 3,000, 10,000 feet. It can be. I wouldn't mind that. We get some more stuff. It'd be really cool. Comfortable chairs. I get cushions for y'all. <laughs> I'm not getting recliners. <laughs> we are not going to be set Mark. I mean, that, I would like We might get one recliner and we'll be right here. <laughs> but I mean, that would be awesome. But I mean, it, how big is your dream? God's kingdom is the kingdom that's going to last forever. It's the thing that's going to outlast. Every government system, every corporation, everything else is going to go away. God's kingdom will last forever. And so do your dreams, are they kingdom dreams? Do you have a mission? These guys did. They're like, I just want to get my friend in front of Jesus. How many of you is that a dream for you? The truth is, is most churches, we're like, I've got Christian friends. I don't hang out with non-Christian friends because they're going to bring me down. Can I just tell you something? If a non-Christian is going to affect your faith that much, then your faith is pathetic. There's a problem. I remember we were we took over our youth ministry and it was really <laughs> it was fun because we came in. They're like, OK, you're taking everyone to camp. All these kids you've never met before. Their parents don't know you and you're going to take them out of the state. Have fun. Good luck. <laughs> and there were like 10 of them. And so I'm hurrying up and we sit around in a circle at camp. It was a wonderful camp. And I remember talking to the kids and saying, hey, what's your vision? What do you want to see happen in this youth ministry? and everything and one kid just looked at me and he's like well you know we just want to stay close knit and everything and really protect what we have i was like well what about lost friends they're like no no they can't get in here because that will make things hard in us and and we'll we'll struggle in our faith poor kid i think i scared him to death because i jumped up i'm like what <laughs> that's our mission that was jesus to seek and save the lost that's our mission listen if you have no non-christian friends go make one they're cool they're funny. Don't look at them and expect them to act like Jesus. They don't know anything about them. I love it. I work at Universal. See, I, I've told you this. I don't care if this church gets $30,000. i am probably going to stay working at Universal because I can come to you like I'm hanging out with a bunch of non-Christian people. <laughs> we actually have a bet at work right now. I was in the Army for seven years in the United States Cavalry. I was like, if you can think of a cuss word I haven't heard, I'll buy you lunch. And they're trying. But that's where we're supposed to be. Do you have a kingdom dream? Because the kingdom dream. If this is the kingdom. I got to tell you. This isn't worth my time. God's kingdom is worth my time. My life. Every sacrifice I've ever made. That's worth my time. That's it. And so they had a mission. Also. They had an eager expectation they, they were excited they actually believed that Jesus could heal their friend they believed something amazing was going to happen look at that again verse, verse 18 and 19 it says you know they came up carrying a man on a stretcher they tried they tried to bring him in and set him down for him but they couldn't and since they could not find a way to bring him in man they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles in the middle crowd right before Jesus. If they didn't think Jesus could do this. If they didn't really believe that something amazing was going to happen. Do you think they would risk the lawsuits and all the other stuff that would come by ripping someone's roof apart? No, they believed they had an eager expectation. And unfortunately, unfortunately, so many of us show up to church and we don't expect anything anymore. It's so sad to me. What's the point? Why get up early and clean up and, and, like, iron your clothes? Like, I told my mom, I tell my wife, I said, wrinkled look is in. She's like, no, go iron. (laughs) And go through all that trouble and all that stuff to, like, look good and look your best and, and then just come in just to sit here for, like, okay, I got to sing some songs. I hug some necks. I got a new fresh mint because Patty changed the flavors in the mint thing. I got a free coffee. Cool. What's on TV today? I mean, it's, I got shows that I'm still streaming. I'm way behind. I mean, I'm behind on Grey's Anatomy and stuff. (laughs) I got to, I could be home right now catching up on that and finding out what's happening. I know it's a horror, it's my story, it's my soap opera, sorry. But we come with no expectation. Listen, everywhere in the Bible where I said people came into the presence of God is one of two things happened. Either they were changed or they went away sad. And can I tell you, we don't have to pray, God, please come and join us. Please be with He was here before we ever got here. His presence was here. His power is here. As long as his word is preached, he is praised and worshipped. He, he is there. And that should change us. We should come with expectation. We should come with something that says, man, this could happen. I mean, so many have believed in the past. So many have believed. In fact, that's what Hebrews 11, you know, the great hall of fame of faith. Come on, do it. There we go. At the very end of that. When it talks about all these great people and the sacrifices made, look at what it says at the end of 11. It says, all these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us. So they would not be made perfect without us. Abraham, Moses, David, all those guys, they knew Messiah. Jesus was coming. And they lived their lives that way, and they sacrificed, and, and they were tortured, and they, they won championships, and they became kings, and they became destitute, and all these things. I mean, if you want, we read Hebrews 11, and we're like, wow, that's so cool, I want to be one of those people. Read the last part of it where it says, and these people were beheaded and saw it in half, and they were in prison, and they walked around, and the earth was not worthy of them. And they were all approved, but they never received the promise Isn't it awesome that we have, we're we're on the other side. We're on the other side of the cross and the resurrection. Everything that they long for has been fulfilled. Can I ask, do you have an eager expectation for someone? Is there someone on your heart? Is there someone in your neighborhood? Someone in your office? Someone at your school? Wherever you're at, is there someone saying, I know That Jesus can change that person's destiny. Because the church is done if we're not thinking about someone else. We are not a social club. We are not a help agency. We are his bride, his church. And our focus is to seek and save the lost. The same mission. And so do you have an eager expectation? And when you think about that person, does it actually move you to action? I love that video, that whole little debunk video, because there's so many people that I've talked to over the years that just sit there and like, I just have to live a good life in front of them. Let them see Jesus in me. They don't even know who he is, so how do they know who they're seeing if we don't say it? Romans 10, how will they know? How will they know if someone doesn't tell them? How will they know so does it move you to action this expectation that Jesus can change my entire city my neighborhood my house. That's what this is about. Well not only that so they had a mission that an eager expectation and guess what they encountered an obstacle. What happened? They show up and the crowds are packing the door. They got their friends on this little mat. They're just trying to carry them. They can't get through. They can't. They can't make it in. And so they figure out, like, okay, well, I guess, I guess we're done. Okay, sorry, dude. <laughs> You've been paralyzed for a long time anyway. You're kind of used to it. Let's go. <laughs> it didn't stop them. What they do? They literally climbed on the roof and dug a hole. Can you imagine that day? Jesus is sitting there. All these people are listening, and all of a sudden they're like. <laughs> Oh, hey. (laughs) I didn't know we had a balcony. Okay. (laughs) You know? And they lowered this guy. They weren't going to allow anything to stop them. There's no way in. I love, there's a great quote by John F. Kennedy. He says this He says, A man does what he must in spite of personal consequences, in spite of obstacles and dangers and pressures, and that is the basis of all human morality. A man does what he must. In spite of personal consequences, in spite of obstacles and dangers and pressures, we face obstacles. There are going to be stuff in our ways. And I have to ask, just think about what are the obstacles that have derailed you? What's the thing that stopped you? Well, you know, I went and I I was going to start a conversation. I was going to tell them about Jesus and they kind of laughed at me. So I I took my ball and I went home. (laughs) You know, we're not allowed to talk about Jesus in my job place. I may lose my job. This may cost me something. Yeah, it's going to cost you. Cost Jesus everything. Someone laughed at me, and I don't want to tell them, of course they're going to laugh. Of course they're going to sit there and be argumentative. Of course they're going to be. We live in a world that says, I want to do it my way. God, I don't want to do it your way. That's the original sin. God, I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. And I refuse to admit it because of the pride in my heart and the pride in my life that I need you. Of course you're going to do it. That's the greatest obstacle to coming to the gospel, to hearing the gospel, is that I can't do it. We've taught that in our country for 200 years. We're Americans. All in America, I pull myself up by my bootstraps. I build a kingdom. I build a world and a business, and I'm okay. I can do it all myself. Great. But you can't do this. And so, yes, we're going to face obstacles. There's going to be things that are going to try to derail you, and it's up you to make a decision every single day. It says, no matter what. I'm going to speak. I know nothing other than Christ crucified and risen, as Paul would say. I know nothing else, and I preach nothing else. I speak nothing else. That's all I can do. I just keep speaking it. I keep doing it. And so my question is, would you dig a hole for the sake of someone else? Would you risk embarrassment, ridicule? Would you risk jobs? bank accounts for the sake of someone else and that what jesus said don't invest here don't build your treasure here where moth and rust shall destroy it but place it in heaven you know what our treasure in heaven is it's the people we come in contact with you know yesterday those of you i really appreciate those that came and 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 we're a part we renewed our vows we've been married 30 years back in April April 15th there's a reason I chose April 15th because I can sit there and go like taxes and oh yeah flowers <laughs> yeah <laughs> it it helps me a lot well we did there and we had our daughters be a part of that our grown daughters and my youngest who works up in a church in North Carolina she flew out this morning to go back home um And everything. She was really excited. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna get myself ordained. I'm like, whoa, sister. Okay, (laughs) easy. And everything. But she said something that we wanted to instill them, and it was such a blessing to us that our goal is that always that people are more important than things all the time. I can have the biggest house on the block. I can have that great big boat, which I still believe God should give me because it's a ministry tool. But it's the people. You, you look at our bank account. You look at our, our um, credit score. It's not really impressive at all. Look at my Facebook page and see the kids that we've ministered to over 30 years that are still in contact with me. I'm the richest man here. Because the people does. Would you be willing to sacrifice everything for the one? Let me tell you, this is one instance. Star Trek is wrong. The needs of the many do not outweigh the needs of the one. The needs of the one to hear the gospel outweighs the needs of everything else. Right. Mm-hmm. So yes, you're, you're going to have you're going to have obstacles. There's going to be issues. And here's the amazing thing. Here's the really really cool thing. They had a mission. They had eager expectation. Come on, you can do it. Maybe not. Billy, you may have to click. Next, whatever's next. Yeah, I know. It's just attitude. There it is. All right. They did all that, and they got more than they ever bargained for just by digging a hole. Look at verse 20. Again, Jesus seeing their faith, he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. 21, then the scribes and Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Was it so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. And immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded and they were giving glory to God and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. These guys showed up because they had a friend that had an external problem. He can't walk. He's paralyzed. This is what I need. And what happens is that's what we think, isn't it? We think, man, we, we got to dig wells and we got to feed and we got to do all stuff. And we need to do all that stuff. But the truth is, is Jesus showed us right there that it's not an external problem. It's an internal problem. It's about the heart. That if the gospel is the good news of the idea that your sins are forgiven, even if he never walked again, he would walk again someday in eternity. Because the sins were forgiven. It is the gospel that must be shared. The gospel must be tied to this. I think it's great, and I believe all my heart, the church should be the greatest like, help organization in the entire planet. We should be feeding those that are hungry. We should be adopting the orphans. There should be no orphans. There are enough Christians on this planet. There should never be any orphans left on this planet. We should be digging wells. We should be teaching people how to have food. But if we do not tell them about Jesus, they're still going to die. And they're still going to go to hell. It has got to be tied to the gospel. And these guys, they came to see their friend walk. They came and saw their friend saved. Amen. So I'm telling you, we serve people. We do the, the blessing bags where we put a bottle of water in and the panhandlers and people. We see, I'm out of them. I've got to fill some more bags. And we hand them out. But if the gospel's not touched, a drink of water and a little snack bar is not going to change their eternity. It is the gospel that changes their eternity. We have got to make it. We think all the needs are external, and they are, but the greatest need is the heart. That's what he said. Jesus said in verse 23, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk. But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. And by the way, Jewish thought back then is that everything bad happened to you because you were a sinner and you couldn't be healed until everything was forgiven and all this stuff. Can I tell you, it's not true. Bad things happen, yes, sometimes because of our choices and their consequences of our sin and our disobedience. But a lot of bad things happen because we live in a broken, fallen world that Christ came to redeem all of it. And so, yes, we share the gospel. We become the hands, the feet, and the mouth of Jesus to all those around us. Amen. I don't sit there with those bags and say, hey, I've got to tell you about Jesus before I give this to you. I just tell him and say, hey, we believe God loves you and has a plan for you. And we want to be a blessing. The gospel has to be part of it. We have to, we have to speak out. And when we do, we will always get more than we ever bargained for. Listen, I I've told you, that I remember being 13 years old in junior high school and the very first time I ever shared the gospel and someone cha- and he prayed and he accepted Christ. I will never forget that day. And from that moment on, I've been hooked because I'm like, well, wow, I just expected like maybe, hey, thanks for telling me. I didn't expect a life change. And now I look for it every Sunday. I think someone's life should be changed because I get to preach God's word and I get to see it because I expect that. I think great things can happen. I think this church can survive and thrive and grow. And it may be, we never be hundreds or thousands of people. But I believe God has placed us here because we can change the world. Because I believe we get more than we ever bargained for if we're obedient and we're bold and we share. And these guys, that's exactly what happened. See, the truth is, is we all we all needed someone at some time. I hate to tell you this, none of you were born Christian. (laughs) It's not a genetic thing. I know there's a lot that believe that. Well, my mom and dad are Christian, so I am. Mm, (laughs) No. I'm American, so I'm Christian. Oh, no. (laughs) No, 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 no. I go to church. Congratulations. So do millions of other people. And they don't know Jesus. We all needed someone to invest in us, didn't we? Can you think? Take a moment. Just think about that person that stepped you aside and said, hey, I want to pour into you. I want to dig a hole for you so that I can put you at the feet of Jesus. We all needed someone. You were somebody's one at some time. So the question is now, who's your one? Um, a guy named Dale Robinson wrote a book called People Sharing Jesus. And, and I just I want to share this with you. I, wanna, I printed out an excerpt of it, and I just want to read this to you in, in closing. It says, now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish, and the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, and year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means, defended fishing as an occupation, and declared that fishing is always to be a primary task of fishermen. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. They created witty slogans and displayed them on big, beautiful banners. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every, me- every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they did not fish. In addition to, in addition to reg- meeting regularly, they organized a board. To send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. The board hired staffs and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, to defend fishing, and to decide what new streams should be thought about. But the staff and committee members did not fish. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built, whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered on the needs of the fish, the nature of the fish, where to find the fish, and the psychological reactions of fish and how to approach and feed fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year, after tedious training, many graduated and were given fishing licenses. They were sent to do full time fishing, some to distant waters which were filled with fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish, but like the fishermen back home, they never fished. They engaged in all kinds of other occupations. Some felt their job was to relate to the fish in a good way so the fish would know the difference between good and bad fishermen. Others felt that simply letting the fish know they were nice, land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were was enough. Now it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties, Some lived near the waters and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen clubs and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen yet never fished. Imagine how hurt somewhere when one day a person suggested that those who don't fish were really not fishermen, no matter how they claimed to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he never fishes? More plainly stated, is one really following if he isn't fishing? It's time to start casting our nets, church. Who's the one you're going to go after? Who's your one? Church, I put to you that if your mission statement is to seek and save the lost, Are we truly the church? Are we truly disciples, followers of Jesus, if we're not doing exactly what he did day after day? Who's your one? Let's pray.